Um, I promise I'm only up here for a couple more minutes. I'm not preaching today, but I am going to read our passages. So it is in your worship guide. You're also more than welcome to pull out your Bible. Um, And it's on the screen if you have fantastic vision, and you're more than welcome to read it from there. So we're reading two passages today. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, and then Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. But rest assured, I'm sure Jerry will have many more passages for us. (laughs) All right. So let's read the word of the Lord together. I like to give them little jabs sometimes. All right. And in Isaiah, the word of the Lord says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Luke Chapter 1, 31 and following. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne over his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray over the word of God that is coming forth. So, Lord, we we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your word that it is true and that we can trust it. And so we ask now that you will just anoint Jerry as he comes to proclaim your word, that you will do it boldly, and that you will prepare our hearts and our minds to receive it and to take what you have for us today and take it with us. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, Hubbard, if you will, come up here for a second. I just need you to stand right here and turn around in that direction. So last week, people that were watching at home gave me grief because they did not get to see what Mike Tierney was wearing. So here we go. That's the sweater of the day right there. Yes. So that's all. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you. You are wearing it well, and I just wanted the world to be able to see it. So, yeah, I was actually walking out the door this morning, and I looked at one of my daughters. I would never embarrass my kids from the pulpit. So, But I was looking at one of my daughters, and I said, does this look okay? And she gave me this look that said, Dad, you look like an idiot. I, can you believe that? And I was, I was like, well, it's too late. i got to go. So I, I said this morning, I'm going to start being like the monks. You know, they would just put on the brown you know, whatever and just wear it every week. So, okay, today we are finishing up. Now, this is going to be interesting because i got two hands going on here. We are finishing up our... Um, fulfilled sermon series, and Advent is here. We've been waiting for you know Christ to come the first time, and we're going to see him come again uh, one of these days. So I want to do just a quick review of where we've been so far, okay? You saw this graph. These are the 300 uh, prophecies that Jeremiah talked about a few weeks ago that point to Christ and how um, his coming was going to be fulfilled um, in the New Testament. And in all of the Old Testament, everything that we see points uh, to Jesus. So in week number one, we use this word plan. And there was this phrase that just grabbed a hold of me and it has stayed with me not only as I've been thinking about Advent and preaching, but also in every other area of my life as I've been thinking about things like the pandemic, as I've been thinking about things like the election, as I've been thinking about the way things have unfolded in my life in the way that they have. And it starts off by saying when the fullness of time had come. And there was this great reminder that God had a plan from the beginning. And then in week number two, 
we use the word uh, promised. This is when Jeremiah spoke and he reminded us of this promise that God had made. And he says in the passage in Genesis 12, 1 uh, through 3, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he makes a promise um, of this blessing of Abraham and his descendants that they will be like the stars and God seals this covenant with himself. And then last week we looked at John the Baptist and we said that John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus to come. That was a whole purpose that he was born, even when he was in his mother's womb and he goes into the same room that Jesus is there. He leaps for joy and he begins to point people to Jesus and then he ends uh, his life uh, by having his head cut off and put on a platter. And it was this abrupt ending, but from the Lord's perspective, he did exactly what Jesus had called, or the Father had called him to do by pointing people to Jesus. And we used this, these bookends. There were different ways. He was going to get their attention. Remember the Secret Service that were coming, and, you know, here comes the president. He's going to get their attention and remind people that they're sinful, okay, but that Christ was coming, okay? And that's what we are to do as well, to give light to those who are currently sitting in darkness, to guide their feet into the way of peace. And as we do this, and as he did this, he would say, I must decrease and he must increase. So we learn from John the Baptist that we are also to prepare the Lord for the second advent. Christ is coming back. And we do that by decreasing and letting Christ increase in our lives. Okay, so to understand this word provide... Um, I don't remember, yeah, provide. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because what happened was this was the word that's in your Advent reading and you go and you look at it and I started down that trail and I took a side turn and I never came back. So I want to give you a quick overview of where we're getting the word provide from because it goes, it comes actually from the Old Testament. This um, Advent series that we're in this year is showing how things in the Old Testament point to Christ and we see it fulfilled in the New Testament. And this is from... Um, uh, Genesis 22, verse 6. So this is a story of God's already made his promise, okay, like um, Jeremiah had told us back in chapter 15. And now in chapter 22, God says, take your son. Uh, Isaac comes, he says, take him up to the mountain, and I want you to basically slay him on top of the mountain. Okay, he says, okay, I'm going to do that. So he takes his son with him, and I won't read this whole passage. In verse number 8 it says, Abraham said to his son who was asking, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the lamp, the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb. I want you to hear that. God will provide himself the lamb. And then later he's ready, he's got the, the knife in his hand and he raises it and the angel says, stop, do you see that ram over there in that thicket? Go get it and sacrifice that. And verse number 14, it says, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. So in this passage, we see that the Lord himself had planned on providing the perfect sacrifice. You can't read these stories in the Old Testament just as stories within themselves. The deeper question we always have to ask is, where is the road to the gospel? Where is the road to Jesus? And we can clearly see here that this story was to show us that God himself would provide. We don't have to work for our salvation. The Lord himself will provide a Savior for us. Okay. So the thing that I want us to think about is the fact that Jesus, in, in coming to us, God in the fullness of time provided for us, but he didn't just provide a Savior, and he just didn't provide Emmanuel. But there's this one word that sometimes gets kind of skimmed over in this season, and it's the fact that he is 
our king. All of the Old Testament prophecies, even what Sam read a moment ago, which we will go back and look at, and yes, we will probably look at additional um, uh, scriptures as we go through. They show over and over and over that this Jesus, this baby, he just wasn't a baby. He was the king and he is the king. So we will intentionally look at a lot of passages because I want you to see this theme and this thread all the way throughout scripture. Okay, so as we saw in this first passage, Isaiah 9, 7, 7, it says that his kingship comes through the throne of David. So just as the sacrifices of the Old Testament point to the day that Christ would come as the perfect sacrifice, and we see the judges that are showing that the perfect judge is going to come, and you see King David, you know, showing that one of these days the perfect king will come, we know that that perfect king now is Jesus. And it's interesting, when you go and you look at 1 Samuel 16, thinking about David, David and his kingdom, his first anointing that took place by the, uh, the prophet Samuel took place in Bethlehem. Okay, that's not by coincidence. You know, of all of the places that David could be from, he happened to be from Bethlehem. And Samuel comes into, you know, Bethlehem and he anoints uh, David privately and says, Saul will no longer be king, you know, but you are going to be the next king. That takes place um, in Bethlehem. And Jeremiah told us about this a few weeks ago. Micah 5.2, the passage was, But you, O Bethlehem, um, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So out of Bethlehem would come the ruler of Israel. That was a prophecy in the Old Testament, and we see that being fulfilled in Christ. Um, and then we pivot to the New Testament, and we see in Luke 2, and everybody knows this passage, it says, And all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David. So Bethlehem is no longer Bethlehem, but after David's anointed there, because David was from there, and because he was the greatest king that they had ever experienced, it's now called the city of David, Okay, and that's where Jesus is coming from, which is called, bless you, um, Bethlehem. So you see that because he was from the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for the child to be born. So here's this fullness of time theme again that just so happened that the census came exactly when it needed to. They show up at Bethlehem right when they needed to. It's the same Bethlehem that David was from. And while they were there, her water breaks. You see this theme, and we read it pretty quickly, but what we don't understand all the time is that this was a perfect plan, and he wasn't just Jesus, a baby, he was king. And then tonight, we're going to look at this through the lenses of the fact that he came to shepherd. So make sure that you're here um, tonight at 6 o'clock. Okay, enter stage right. At this point, we're going to pivot to what's happening. You've got King Herod who's also known as Herod the Great, uh, king of Judea. He's the king of this region, okay? And as this fullness of time is unfolding for Jesus to be born, it did not set well with King Herod at all. This is what Matthew 2, 1 through 6 says. Listen to this. This is from... This is what's happening, and then look at Herod's perspective of what's happening. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. So they're wanting to know, where is this Jesus, king of the Jews? Did you see that? Born king of the Jews. That word king is, is hitting Herod's ear. Okay, and he's going to have a response to that. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for as it is written, he's coming from Bethlehem because the Old Testament tells us that he's going to come from Bethlehem, and we can trust what the Word of God says. The prophecy says he's going to come from Bethlehem, and therefore he's going to come from Bethlehem. So even though... There was just a lot of just the staunch religion in, in uh, Judea and in Israel at this time. They still believed that these prophecies would be fulfilled. God does keep his word. Okay. And it says, O you, um, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler. Here's the king. So come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Okay. So here's Herod. And he hears that this king is coming, and he begins to take a keen interest in this young couple who have made their way into Bethlehem and this child that is going to be born. Um, born. He, a very keen interest. And we're going to get back to that in a moment because one of our key questions today is why is he so concerned about this? So a little bit about Herod. I won't go into a lot of detail on Herod. So he was born in Palestine. Um, he was of Arab origin, but he was a practicing Jew. He comes from a very political family. He had been made governor of Galilee. Um, six years later, Mark Anthony made him the Tetrarch of uh, Galilee. And so he's rising in power as a politician. And then at some point in time, there is this war that takes place. They anoint him as king. and He goes off and he fights this three-year battle and he comes back victorious. So King Herod has established himself as being, yeah, he's a great mayor. He was a really good governor. Wow, he's king. Okay, that's what you're seeing happen with him. So now he's sitting on the throne. And while he's there, he does a lot of really great great things. He builds palaces, fortresses, temples. But the power that he had achieved during his reign had created such suspicions and jealousies with him that if he felt that anyone was coming in to like pull you know him away from the throne he would have them killed even his own children okay so even his own children or even his own spouse would be you know executed if it meant that they were a threat to him so going back to verse number three that we read a moment ago, it says, when Herod heard that this Jesus was coming to Bethlehem, who was going to be king of the Jews, it says that he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Well, Jerusalem is troubled because they know if Herod's upset, you never know what he's going to do, which we see a little bit later. So the, the question, the question of the day, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, is what exactly is King Herod bothered about? Why is he so bothered? He's done all of these amazing things. Here's this couple. They are not important. They show up in Bethlehem during the sentence, and they have a baby, and people are saying, oh, yeah, this baby one of these days is going to be king of the Jews. Why is he so hot and bothered in this moment? So, And that takes us to my favorite slide of the day. Okay? And it is here. Who has seen Robin Hood, the cartoon? Now, 
I think that it's official that it is the all-time best animated Disney movie. Would you agree with that? And if you do not agree with that, you probably need to find another church because it really is. It's amazing. And I think I have every word of this, of, you know, or song, you know, from um, this, um, this amazing movie memorized. And this is Prince John. And King Richard was the real king, and Prince John had taken over his throne, and he was sitting on the throne, and he was so worried that one of these days that King Richard was going to come back. And this was the moment in time where people were chanting out, long live King Richard, long live King Richard. And he sucks his thumb and says, I am king, king, I tell you, I am king. And there was this suspicion that he had of all people and he made everyone around him miserable because his kingship and his throneship was his and his alone. I know my mind's weird, but as I was reading King Herod, that was where my mind went. I'm like, that's exactly what King Herod is doing. So if you go to the Old Testament thinking about King David, who do you remember in the Old Testament that did exactly the same thing? Somebody tell me. King Saul. King Saul was like, King David is killing more people than I'm killing when we go to battle. Everybody loves King David. He's going to be king one day. And he loved him because he needed him, but at the same time he despised him because he was jealous of him and he kept on trying to kill him. It's a weird thing when we have power, the things that we will do to maintain our power. So King Herod, why is he troubled? Well, he was king. He's in charge. He's ruler of the people. He had worked really hard to accumulate this power. It was he who sat on the throne, and now he's hearing the buzz that another king is coming. And this is not just another king. This is the one that was prophesied in the Holy Scriptures. You know, I think about like me, and um, I was thinking about like the fact that I ran this school for 23 years. You know, and, and, you know, what would it look like if the board and the faculty and the teachers come and they said, oh, here's the one. One of these days, this is guy, the guy that's going to be the real head of school. You know, and if you begin to hear that and you see everybody focusing their attention somewhere else, that does something, something to our psyche. You know, why is that? Because oftentimes our identities are wrapped up in our positions. It is so easy for people to be able to see me as pastor or see me as head of the school, or see me as whatever, as teacher, or see me as, and fill in your own little blank there, and that kind of takes on your identity, and inadvertently, you end up having some uh, protection and some jealousies if anyone else might be coming into that position. It's a scary thing, it's a dangerous thing, and we all have to watch that. So when this happens, the word gets out, that King Herod is upset, and you see that Mary and Joseph actually flee into Egypt. And if you look at Hosea 11.1, 1, again, going back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament shows that Jesus is going to come out of Egypt. He has to flee to Egypt because King Herod is jealous. And when King Herod was so jealous, do you remember what he did to all of the boys that were two years old and younger in the region of Bethlehem and that, the surrounding area? He had them killed. Well, no wonder the people of Jerusalem were upset and troubled as well, because if King Herod is troubled, we're troubled too. People lost their babies because King Herod was so jealous. Okay, so King Herod is in with, within each of us. 
And we have to be real careful of that. So what is the sin of King Herod and how can we learn from that and make sure that we don't do the same things? But before we continue with King Herod, let's go back and look at some of these scriptures that show that Jesus really is king. You know, he's not just a baby. So starting with one we read earlier, this is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And just listen to some of this governmental and leadership and kingship language. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, kingship. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David, kingship, and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness and from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Zechariah 9, 9, prophesying about King Jesus coming, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coal, the foal, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the people of Israel had been in bondage over and over, and they knew that one of these days a king was coming, and they were awaiting their Messiah. Non-believing Jews, even today, to this day, are still waiting for their uh, Messiah. I went on a field trip about five years ago, and we were in New York City, and we went to a Saturday evening before Easter Jewish synagogue. And, and we sang, and we listened, and we watched, and we observed, and we talked about what we saw. And these people deny the fact that Jesus was the Christ. They deny that he's the Messiah, and they were facing Jerusalem, waiting for their Messiah to come one day. And they wanted a king to come and rescue him, and many of them still do today. And he did, and here he is, and he's a baby. But he's not going to be the king that they were looking for. Mark 11, 7 and 10 show this passage, and you can see the picture. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, listen, the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is it. This is the moment. This is the time that the king is coming to set up his reign and to set up his throne. And he did, but it was completely different. He actually went into Jerusalem not to establish himself as the king the way that they wanted, but he came into Jerusalem to die and to pay the penalty for their sins and for our sins as well. A couple more passages, Matthew 27, 37, and over his head they put the charge against him which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews, with the thorn and the blood running down his head. They were prophesying and now showing that he is to be king. 1 Timothy 6, 14 through 16, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion, kingship, 
And lastly, Luke 1, 31 through 33, which takes us back to the Christmas story. And behold, you will conceive and in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's king kingdom, dominion, ruler, language all throughout this Christmas story. I don't know that I had ever seen it to the degree that I've seen it this year. And that's why we're talking about it this morning. You know, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And from the overflow of the heart that as I've been studying, I want to you know, present this to the people that are a part of this church. This term, kingdom of God, I mean, we hear it and we see it all in the New Testament. 68 times. Kingdom of heaven, 38 times. So it is a theme that runs all throughout Scripture. This was the creator and the king of the universe coming to establish himself as king and to establish his kingdom forevermore and to redeem a people for himself into his kingdom that would rule with him. Now, this is a different kingship and kingdom living than what people had experienced on earth. And we're seeing an unfold in our lives right now. For example, Luke 17.21 says, The kingdom of God is in the midst of you, or the kingdom of God is amongst you. And you see, oh, well, that's because Jesus was there. Well, partly, yes. He has, was coming to establish himself as, his, as king. But remember, the whole point is that once Jesus ascends, he says, I will come back to you. I will abide with you. And he sends the Holy Spirit to reign within us, you know, and it is, um, you know, it is Christ. It is, you know, God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. I am crucified with Christ. I can live. Jesus Christ now lives within me. So this reigning in the kingdom is taking place because those of us that name the name of Jesus, those of us that have bowed before him and call him king and live for him as our king, he actually lives within us. And he teaches us that the way of the kingdom is backward worlds. You know, we, we wash the feet of people. We don't try to reign, you know, you know, in power, but we, we pray for those rulers. We don't, you know, slap and, and beat down our enemies. We love them and we pray for them. The ways of the kingdom are happening all around us. Good example won't go into detail, but yesterday I had a lady in Elizabethan who came to me and said, I've been watching you, and I've been watching your people, which was the phrase that was used, and that was you all. And I've noticed that you all are just kind, and you love each other, and, you're, and just other things were said. And I was like, oh, yeah. She's seeing the ways of the kingdom worked out here in Elizabethan, and it struck her attention, and she said, I want to know more. Can you tell me why you all are the way that you are? Well, that's Jesus. That's what King Jesus is doing in him establishing his kingdom. And eventually, tells a, a scripture tells us that King Herod dies. Okay, King Herod dies. Mary and Joseph move back to Nazareth. And as this former baby continues to grow, now he's 30 years old, and now he begins his earthly ministry. And we see all throughout Scripture in the Gospels him showing authority as king over things like sickness, disease, the wind, the wave, demons, trees, fish, you know, and so on. You see over and over and over he's exercising authority and he's showing that he is king. Even to the degree at one point he raises someone up 
and tells him to take his mat and walk, a paralytic. And then he says, your sins are forgiving, forgiven. And they're like, well, what are you talking about? Only God can forgive sins. And he says, which one's more important that I can, or you know, the, shows more authority that I can tell this person that you're healed, take up your mat and walk, or that I can also say that your sins are forgiven, but you might understand that I actually have power over both of those. This is the King Jesus that came to establish himself in such a way that he's the only one that can rise from the dead. And he's the only one that can defeat hell. He's the only one that can defeat sin. And he's the only one that has the authority to look at you and to look at me when we say, sinner, lost, God, you're my only hope. I bow before you and I ask you to be my king and my Lord and my Savior. He's the only one that can look at us and say, your sins are forgiven completely. That's our king. And that's what Christmas is about. This king is being ushered in, and he is, as Revelation 17, 14 says, they will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords, and he is king of kings. Not just a king, he is the king. And this second advent is where we focus our attention now. Jesus came. It's beautiful. It's amazing. There were shepherds living out in the field nearby. You know, and they were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And there was a baby that was born. And we sing that. The kids are going to come in and they're going to do their chant this morning. And that focuses us on this baby. But understand, that baby grew. That baby reigned. And that baby reigns now as King Jesus. And one of these days, he will return for the second time for his bride. And we will serve him forever and worship him forever. But he is king of kings. When the fullness of time had come, he came the first time. And the, when the fullness of time had come, he will come again. Revelations 19, 11 through 16. I won't read the whole passage, but on the last verse it says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings, Lord of lords. And that's a lot of verses. There's a lot more. I've got like pages and pages worth of verses just about the king and the kingdom. Um, there's a lot of verses, but unapologetically so. We need to see this theme and understand church, Redstone Church Elizabethan, that Jesus' kingship is critical to us if we really want to understand who this baby Jesus is and the fact that this baby Jesus will be returning as king of the universe. And here's the application. So that's historical, that's prophetic, that's showing who he is as king. But here's the application. And this applies to people online that are watching that might be lost, people that might be in here this morning that may not, that may not know the Lord that might be lost. And it also applies to all of us that may be just struggling with our walk with the Lord. So let me explain. Okay, back to the earlier question, why was King Herod troubled? And it's because, and hear me on this, there can only be one throne, and he wanted to occupy that throne, which is where his worth and identity were found. As I stated earlier, he wanted to be king, and he wanted to call the shots. Okay, so just stop there. King Herod is troubled he worked hard for this. This is his life. He's done these things. And now someone's going to come in and they're going to challenge him or his authority. You know, his response to that is, I'll just kill him. 
and I'm not going to let that happen. So why is he so troubled? Because there can only be one throne. So unbelievers that might be listening, for people that have heard the gospel, not people that haven't heard it, but you've heard the gospel, you understand the truths of the gospel, but you've never received it, I would ask you, well, why is that? And the thing that I would suggest as to why you continue to reject Jesus as King and Lord of your life is that it's because there can only be one throne and there can only be one king and you prefer to remain on the throne of your life and call your shots. That's what we do. I will say, I think I'm just an atheist because I really don't want to subject myself and be under the authority of someone else. I actually don't believe in atheists. I don't. I know that sounds funny when I say that, but I don't. I don't think that you can look at the stars and all of creation and see a baby being born and understand oxygen and carbon dioxide and just life and the ability to love and to be loved and to have feelings. And I can go on and on and on and say, there's no God. I don't believe that at all. I think that that's an easy excuse to not be subject to and be held accountable to this king that I don't understand. Right? And that's what's happening. Oftentimes, it's, this is my throne. And this is my life, and I only live once, and now you're messing up my plan because you're telling me that there's another, and I have, um, I have to subject myself to him, and he's the only one that can forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong? I don't know. I just reject that. I really like being on the throne of my life. When Jesus bids us to come to him, he does bid us to die to ourselves and to place him and him alone on the throne. And some people would hear that and say, well, that just sounds horrible. God is love. He is kind. He is merciful. He is forgiving. He promises to be with us all along the way. And it is an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to live in the kingdom of God and to know this Jesus who is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is so worth dying to yourself for. So I would just encourage people that might be struggling in saying, I don't know. To, to consider where else are you going to go? He's king of kings and lord of lords. He has the words of life. At one point in time, Jesus looks at the people and says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no part with me. And the people scattered. And they're like, that's just too intense for me. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, are you all going to leave too? And Peter says, well, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You're king of kings and lord of lords. I may not always understand you. I may not you know, understand all the things that you say. But you're king of kings and lord of lords. You're the only one that has authority over sickness, disease, death, Hades, and that has the ability to forgive me of my sins. Where else are you going to go? He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And to those of us that might be here this morning or listening from home that simply have no peace or no joy or continue to struggle in our walks with the Lord, it's the same answer. There can only be one throne, there can only be one king, and when Jesus bids us to come to him, he bids us to die to ourselves and to place him and him only on the throne of our lives. He becomes king and lord where our old identities were. He becomes king of our lives, and it's a decision that we have to make on a daily basis. Deny yourself, take up his cross daily, and follow him. And some people that are listening, there are areas in your life that you have just not given to him. 
you want to remain on the throne in these areas, but when it comes to Christianity and my Sunday mornings or my community group, sure, he can be on the throne in those areas, but over here, I don't know. And some people have not given every area of their lives to this King Jesus. One throne, one king, and it's all-encompassing. This was my struggle this week. This was my struggle as I prepared, you know, to bring this to you guys. It was that simple question of two, you know, two questions, and I'm going to end with these questions. You know, one, do you see that this baby Jesus, this wrapped in swaddling, you know, cloths, you know, born in a manger in Bethlehem, was and is king? Do you see that? And then number two, is he on the throne of your life, or are you? Is he on the throne completely in your life, or are there areas that you're really trying to hold on to? And if so, that's why there's no peace. That's why that stronghold continues to come at you and tear you down. The enemy's ploying with you. He's, he's messing with you because he sees that you have not subjected yourself fully to the king. There's more happening with this baby than what you know meets the eyes at first. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Um, yes, you know King Herod um, did not like that. But the thing is, there's King Herod in all of us, every single one of us. You know, there's a little King Herod that says, "My life, my throne," and you don't want Jesus sitting on that throne. And Jesus says, my throne, I am king. Either accept that or reject that, but you can't have it both ways. This is why, Maddie, when we sang at the beginning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, because he is king. This was the Jesus that came. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes... Um, I feel like that there's so much information and it's hard to articulate it in a way that we hear it, see it, comprehend it, understand it. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit has done that and will continue to do that as we sit here and rest contemplating the kingship of Jesus in our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal to us things that need to be revealed and Lord, I pray that you would show us if there are areas in our lives that we, we prefer to sit on the throne in, that you would, um, you would convict us of that. Lord, change us, challenge us, help us as a body of Christ to submit to you fully and wholly as King of kings and as Lord of lords. We'll just let the Spirit do his work for a few minutes and then we'll open it up.